It's the week of Friday, June 17th, 2016, and it's The Relevant Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and uh, we're going to do something a little bit different this week. Over the years that we've been doing this show, from time to time, something happens in the country that just makes us have to stop and have a different kind of conversation. And that happened down the road from us this week. Everybody knows on Sunday, a gunman entered a, a nightclub, primarily frequented by the LGBTQ community, and uh, the worst mass shooting in American history happened. Uh, as of this recording, 49 innocent lives have been taken, but some that number could still go up, and uh, countless more were injured. Um, it's been on the news all week. And as we were thinking about how to address it here on the show, uh, we thought we need to uh, bring in some pastors. And so I reached out to some of my friends who are pastors here in the community, all of them have churches that are near the downtown area, and um, I want to welcome them to the show. Here's uh, my pastor, Josh Turner from Celebration Church. Hey, guys. Uh, Justin Johnson is the pastor of One Church Park District. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Yep. I, didn't, I, I didn't know if you wanted me to throw in the Park District. Yes. Because your dad's the pastor of One Church. Right. The, right. the bigger One Church, yep. so you're a Park yep. District. That's right. And uh, Cole Smith from City Beautiful Church. Hello. Uh, on, on with us, uh, Jesse's here. Uh, hey, guys. From Virginia, and uh, Chandler, our producer, is in the room. Hello. Um, we're going to talk for a few minutes, and then um, we'll bring on the rest of the cast and kind of do a normal podcast after this, but uh, this was just a... A moment in time that I, I needed some pastors to help us navigate these waters. Um, I personally uh, was on a plane as the news was unfolding. I had a business trip in LA, and when I got to the airport, it was just like local news. You know, it was very early in the morning. And um, as I was on the plane, I'm watching CNN, and, and what happened, you know, the, the enormity of what happened started to unfold. And I was trapped on the other coast, mm -hmm. trying to keep in touch with friends and, you know, texting and, and talking to several of you. And uh, tell me what happened this week. As a, as a pastor on Sunday morning, as this news is breaking, t just talk me through kind of your experience here in Orlando. Yeah, I mean, I guess we can go around. I, uh, you know, for us, it was kind of still all unfolding for our morning services. And so you kind of get to church and you, you have your plan of what service is going to look like that day. And as you're in it, you realize the magnitude of what's happened as kind of the hours are going on. And so what we did is, man, we just started addressing it. And we just started kind of um, taking moments to pause in the service and pray for it and give attention to it. And man, just, you know, bring back people to not just focusing on the, the horrificness of the of the event, but then also helping people like pray and, and kind of focus more on God. And then at our 6 p.m. service, what we did is we just, we wanted to change it to a prayer and worship service. As you know, uh, we have a lot of people in our church from the LBT uh, Q community. And so we had some friends that were directly impacted. They, we had one group of friends, they lost five of their friends. We had one guy at our church that he was actually in the club and made it out. And so we just wanted to give people a safe place to be able to come and cry and have people lay hands on them and pray. And, and that was really our hope of it. And so we just really kind of addressed it all Sunday long and prayed with people and tried to love on people. And, um, you know, people want to make sense of things like this. And, and it's, not, it's not always a way to make sense of just evil people. Um, and so that's kind of, you know, how we handled it on Sunday. Cole, what did you experience? Um, I woke up to, to several text messages, and um, the first one was, I, I think we should maybe change what we're doing tonight. We, um, we meet in the evenings, and so 
at first I thought, well, I don't know if that's necessary because we had several of our musicians who are really closely related to what actually happened in Orlando on Friday night with uh, Christina Gimme from uh, The Voice, who was shot at a music venue here in Orlando. And so I thought it was because of that. But then I started scrolling through and seeing I had several other text messages. And I thought, well, something else obviously must be going on. So that's when I got online and, and saw the news. And, um, you know, we just started really asking, what does this mean for us? And I think the answer, even all the way through Sunday night, was I have no idea what this means for us. Um, but what we did was just decide to to leave space. I mean, I think people want to do something immediately, and we don't always know what to do. Um, I think people want questions answered, but there probably aren't answers to those questions. And so the thing that I, that I really was thankful for is that there was space uh, on Sunday for people to sit and be with one another. And I think our community as a whole is really experiencing that a lot. I mean, I, I am pretty involved with our arts community here in Orlando as well. And, you know, as early as 8.30 on Sunday morning, I was getting phone calls from them too saying like, what, what are we supposed to do? Um, how, do we res- how do we respond to this as an arts community as well? And I think that's what we've seen is like all these different pieces of our bigger community asking, how do we respond to this? What does it mean for us? Justin? Yeah, well, um, as a pastor, probably the other guys probably do the same thing. I always get up early on Sunday mornings. I'm kind of trying to get my, my head around the day. And uh, so I got up at about 4.15 on Sunday, and I always tend to just check the news on my phone. And I've kind of thought before, why do I, why do, I do that? Um, but I, I looked at it, and I went, oh, my goodness, this is, this is happening. At 4.15, it was happening yeah, still. Yeah, it was still unfolding. So it was just kind of a timeline of events, and it was, it was still unfolding. So um, I just couldn't, you know, at that point, couldn't believe it. It didn't, you know, and obviously you don't have the, the magnitude of what's happening. Uh, you don't know that at that point. But, um, you know, I, I woke my wife up. I said, babe, something, you know, this is what's going on. And, of course, the night before um, – was the Christina Grimmy situation. And um, so that was, you know, it was just surreal in that moment. Um, even going into service, still not knowing, and we have uh, Sunday morning services, so not knowing uh, everything that is happening. Um, we're just kind of trying to respond to what we know. But, you know, to be honest, we don't have a plan in place. We didn't, you know, you just kind of go, okay, what do we what do we do? And um, so we just prayed in, in the service and took time for that. And then honestly, for me, um, it was when I left after our, our morning services that uh, I pulled the news up. And, and at that point, the count had gone up to uh, 49 and um, it was still unfolding. So we just kind of said, okay, uh, what do we do at this point? We didn't, we didn't have a plan. So uh, we went you know, I just was texting some of the other leaders in our church and said, hey, you know, what should we do? And um, one guy said, well, I've heard people are gathering at the, uh, what we call the center, the LGBT community center, which is just, you know, stone's throw from where our church meets on Sundays at the Orlando Museum of Art. So uh, we just said, well, let's go over there and let's just be present. I don't know, what are we going to do when we get there? You know, we didn't have anything to to give. We didn't have a plan. We just said, we're going. So we... Um, we showed up there, and we could tell pretty quickly at that point that it was um, 
you know, it, it was kind of the base camp for a lot of what was happening. They were just directing people, and we, um, you know, were would be in the way if we just kind of stayed there. So we just said, okay, where what else could we do? Let's go to the hospital. And so we went to the uh, to the hospital, Orlando Regional downtown, and uh, just went into the lobby there and just kind of walked in. We didn't even know if we could get in, um, but we went in, and you know, it's still just unfolding. This is about five o'clock on on Sunday evening. And um, we just saw people in the lobby that, um, you know, we saw one guy that he just was obviously emotional and, and we just went up to him and it was kind of like, man, we don't even know what to do here, but, but we're the church. And so we've, we, we've got to engage. And so we just went up and said, hey, you know, we're, we're, I'm a pastor here in town and, um, you know, were you affected by this shooting and what's going on? And he said, yeah, I was, I was there. Uh, I, was, I was there when it happened. And he said, he just told me, you know, a little bit of his experience there. And I just said, man, you know, I, I don't have anything. I don't know what to say to you, but I said, you know, God loves you. And, uh, and, and can I pray for you? And we just prayed for him. He grabbed hold of me and just hugged me. And, you know, it's amazing how open people are, um, in that moment to, you know, maybe things that they wouldn't normally be open to and, and having conversations they wouldn't normally have. So we went from there just out on like on the street. We're just like, let's walk, and let's just walk and pray. We don't know what to do, um, but but you know, just being present. We went out on the street, and uh, my brother was with me, and he had a guitar in his car. He said, "Man, I'm just going to grab my guitar." We didn't have a plan or set list or anything. We're just going out, and he's he just starts playing his guitar, and we're just there outside the hospital, and and pretty soon people start coming up, um, and and we just start praying for people, and it was amazing. Um, what what was happening in that moment that, you know, typically we don't do that. That's not what we typically do. And, you know, if you do that, oftentimes people, they cross to the other side of the street. But um, but we, as we were doing that, people just started coming towards us and, um, and, and you know, asking for prayer. We were praying with people and, and, you know, I don't know how many people, probably a hundred people we prayed with in just a short period of time. And then news cameras started coming up and, um, which, you know, was not at all what we were looking for, but we saw, you know, people, um, people just getting radically touched in that moment, um, really encountering God. And it was just, it was unbelievable. It's unlike anything I've ever experienced, um, in those few hours out there in the midst of, you know, the tragedy in, you know, we, you could see pulse from where we were. Uh, but even in the midst of that, you know, just a, a, a real peace coming to those people. So it was, it was wild. Out in LA, I, I saw a news clip on the internet of you praying for people in the hotel and the uh, hospital. Yeah. And I was like, I know him. Yeah. I, I've been getting, t- because of, I mean, on this show, I mean, everybody knows I'm a huge fan of the magic and and I love Orlando, born and raised here. Like I was getting texts all day on Sunday from people around the country just asking what they could do to help and everybody wants mm-hmm. to help. And and there were no answers to that. I mean, because like, you know, the one Orlando campaign gets set up and they have $4 million raised like that. You know, it's right. like, what is there to do? Like people, I'm asking you guys as local leaders, boots on the ground, all your churches are near downtown. What can people do? 
Well, just to speak to the financial thing, I mean, yeah, there were 49 people who lost their lives, but there were hundreds of victims. There are people who worked at that club right. who are now, now out of work. Unemployed, yeah. There are people who sustained injuries who are now out of work and or medical bills have and... medical bills. So, yeah, we say immediately there's $4 million, but $4 million doesn't go a long way when you're talking right. about 150, Good. 200 people. That's so. Let's not dismiss like contributing to that fund because it's really, I think it's still really important. And um, so that that is still something. I mean, there are financial needs that probably hundreds of people, like those bartenders at that bar have car payments and rent payments this month, you know? Right. So um, yeah, I mean, I, giving is still definitely one of those ways. On Sunday afternoon, uh, as friends were leaving church, and again, I'm trapped in a plane, I'm texting with people and... Like, uh, word went out that they needed certain types of blood. And so friends from church left church, went to go give blood, and there's, you know, 1,500 people already online. They're turning people away. And then word got out, like, well, now the blood center needs, like, Gatorade and juice and things for people who gave blood. So, I mean, we're Venmoing money, and (laughs) they ran and got all that stuff and brought it. And then they're turning away supplies. We have too many supplies. It's like the community is just, like... Rallied. Rallied. Yeah, it's unbelievable to see. It's been really, you know, obviously I'm geographically separated, you know, like a lot of people from this tragedy and don't have, you know, a lot of the personal community connections because of that to a lot of the people who are affected. So it's been incredible to see the community in Orlando uh, turn out and even people around the country give. One thing that I've been thinking about is, you know, in, in a spiritual sense, the you know, the verse where it talks about mourning with those who mourn and weeping with those who weep and really trying to understand what that looks like and how someone that may not have a direct connection to the tragedy personally, but, you know, definitely is capable of seeing the devastation that it's caused. What does that look like for people who are just, you know, moved by it and maybe have taken practical steps, but on a spiritual level as Christians, how can we stand in solidarity with this community that's been so devastated by this violent action. And I, I would say, you know, the part of it, and, and not to say this just because I'm a pastor, but I would say just to keep praying for people. Yeah. Because what we've seen is, is and, and I've had a lot of conversations with other pastors who have been through natural disasters or the shooting that was in Charleston at the AME church. And so this is going to be a long road. Mm-hmm. This isn't going to be something that the news coverage and the political coverage will leave a lot sooner than before people heal. Mm-hmm. And so what's going to happen is, is, is I think as this progresses and as time goes on, they're going to be people, man, they're still going to need to know that people care about them. Mm-hmm. And they're still going to need to know that people are praying for them and, and God, that they're thinking about them. And just because it's not on CNN and Fox News and everything that it's been on these past few days, that people in Orlando and the people that went through it Man, that, that there's some healing that that still needs to happen, uh, and so what we would say is, man, just continue to pray for those people. I know one of the things that that we're really trying to do is people that need ongoing counseling as a church. We want to help pay for that for them to go to counseling because mm-hmm. this is going to be something that is long term. It, it, it is going to be for people, for my friends that were in the club that got out. Like they're going to have to talk about this with somebody and get and get some help. Uh, and, and what they experienced. And so I would just say continue to pray for people and, you know, just <laughs> encourage them if, if you know them or, or whatever the case may be. Yeah. I've noticed uh, one of the other things I've been really proud of is uh, 
from, again, from the other coast, but watching very closely. I mean, I had full days of meetings. I was up till 3.30 every night, three, watching CNN. And then full days, I mean, I just like, I can't stop praying and yeah. looking at, and watching and following this. I, I have been proud of the church here that it, this has been a unifying um, uh, tragedy, almost a mm-hmm. uh, healing tragedy that instead of a divisive or a political one. Yeah. Um, when when you have a a certain community targeted like this, you know it's um, you know I, I've been proud of how the church has responded. That's all I'd say. Yeah, and I I don't think there are probably any um, people listening to this podcast right now who responded like we saw the video. I don't know if you guys saw the video of the pastor in California who literally was saying things like, "Too bad more of them didn't die." No, and I, I don't think I there's anybody who's listening to this podcast probably who is part of that ideology, but I think it's also really important for the church to use this as an opportunity to talk about how um, the LGBT community is talked about in churches mm-hmm. and the relationships the churches have with that community in their city, wherever that city is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've talked to a lot of people who are really passionate about this issue not being, you know, like usurped from the LGBT community and um, they are feeling it hard. And um, I think one of the messages I've consistently heard is like, how have the things that you've said to people or they they haven't asked me this directly, but these are the things I'm seeing on the internet. How, how are, um, the things the church says about this community contributing to the aggression toward it in general uh, across the country uh, and around the world, to be honest. I mean, there are gay communities in foreign countries that are attacked, and things like this happen to them on a regular basis. And there are missionaries in those countries who are encouraging violence toward gay people. And so, I mean, I think this is a broad church conversation, and it's um, it's one that churches can't be afraid to have. Yeah, I, I think too, Cole. Based on what something you were saying, you know, just in terms of loving, connecting wherever you're at. To me, that's something that I feel um, has been on my heart out of this thing is um, just that thought of kind of loving your city, loving the people where you're at. Uh, this situation, you know, it's it's been global in its effect. Um, but at the end of the day, these are people that, you know, have real homes, real lives, real families. And so to me, I think, you know, Jesse was just asking, what can people do to stand in solidarity? I think we, um, loving people wherever we're at, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a shame that sometimes it takes something that is jarring to wake us out of, um, you know, that sort of stupor to those things. But to me, just loving your neighbor and caring for your neighbor, whatever, you know, label they have, I think, um, to me is, is, you know, something we should be doing ongoing and, and just, you know, building bridges there. It's what, uh, watching the vigils that you guys were able to be part of and seeing the church standing arm in arm yeah. with the gay community over the last few nights has been really encouraging to me. I, I never thought I'd see something like that, yeah. you know? Yeah. I, is this go ahead, Jesse? I was just to say the the other side of the coin that I think it's you know anytime something like this happens, it's you know I think good to mention too is 
to be because obviously it, it is the the gay community that is directly targeted, and and you know there were many victims in that community, but also just uh, you know continuing to remember that you know local Muslims aren't the enemy as well, and that you know it, there's a temptation to be you know fall into fear and fall into uh, you know, uh, aggression towards uh, the Muslim community. And have you guys seen anything in the Orlando community involving, you know, just relationships with local Muslims? Because, uh, you know, anytime there is an act of violence that is perpetrated by someone who's an extremist, it, it's easy to fall into that trap of, uh, you know, being overly fearful. And there are th those people who, you know, definitely succumb to Islamophobia uh, at, at times. I haven't, I mean, I haven't seen anything particular. I think the city has done a very good job of um, bringing some local Muslim leaders like to the vigil that they had at the city that I think there was like 7,000 people at. They brought um, uh, one of the local Muslim leaders up to talk about it and kind of talk about how, man, this, this wasn't us. We weren't a part of this type of deal. And so I think they've done a very good job at it kind of squelching anything that would have contributed to that, at least what I've seen yeah. so far. And, gosh, I'm really, our, or the Orlando community isn't that. We're not those people. Like, I'm sure that there are some of them who exist in our city. I don't know them, and I don't see them, and I haven't heard their voice, yeah, and I'm really thankful either. for that. Yeah. All of a sudden, the world is looking at this city that, you know, has been known as, like, fun and happy and, you know, theme parks and nothing else. And there is... You know, even our the city's marketing campaign is like you don't know the half of it. There's another right. part of the city. I think the <laughs> I think the world is starting to see the real Orlando. What would y'all like to have the world know about this city, especially the the Christian community here and, and whatever? Like from your vantage point, what do you want people to know about Orlando? What does this say about Orlando? Those are two different questions. What does this say about us? I mean, I think that we're a beautiful, resilient, strong people. And I think the reason we are that is multifaceted, but I would say that, you know, when people think about Orlando, they don't think about the, the things that we experience, which are um, incredible arts organizations and people who are creating culture and award-winning chefs who are making amazing food and an innovative entrepreneurial scene and people who work in the aerospace industry. And like, there are people who live here and not only do they live here, I think- and Mediocre you know, basketball. Very, very mediocre basketball, basketball. <laughs> and a lot of energy around soccer. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I would say that that we are those kinds of people, and um, I hope people get to know us as that. Yeah. I, and, and you know, like I love, I have a Disney annual pass. Josh does too. Yeah, Who absolutely. Else? I just got I, one two uh, weeks ago. Uh, yeah. so You're in. We, I'm holding I'm out. All four. I'm not getting I'm all one. four. Like I love it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I embrace the the spirit of imagination that we're in, we're known for and to me it's not fantasy uh to me it's not you know pulling a veil over one's eyes and just going to a theme park it's like there's something about the the aspect of dreaming and have mm -hmm. imagination that is that like our city is defined by and uh, i think it's really beautiful yeah yeah i th i think the same thing you know um i'm just passionate about seeing people wherever 
God has them being passionate about that place. I think the Bible's pretty clear. Uh, I think it's Acts uh, 17, 26, that God determines the times and the places that we live so that people might search for him and find him, although he's not far off. And so to me, I think, you know, God has put you in the place that he has you wherever you live uh, so that his kingdom can be established in that community. And, you know, to me, I think even looking at uh, Disney and the things that has marked Orlando. To me, I just think, hey, here's a, you know, Walt Disney, a man with a, a vision for the city. How much more should we yeah. uh, have a vision for our city? I just think, hey, there's a, there's a. He had a kingdom vision for Magic Kingdom. To me, I, I just think, man, I want to see, um, you know, God's purpose in our city accomplished and uh, anywhere that that's broken, anywhere that that is not fulfilled. I think we contend. Uh, you know, to to see his kingdom come on earth, and that means you know our little piece of terra firma. The uh, the what happened this weekend, Friday night with Christina Grimmie. Um, if you if if the news got quickly forgotten, if you all didn't hear, she was a contestant on The Voice, and she was on tour with another band, and they had a concert at the Plaza Theater, which is right right near where uh, several of us live on Friday night and uh, afterwards she's signing autographs at her merch table and a deranged fan came up and shot her in cold blood and you know and um, so on Saturday uh, Saturday night at that same theater uh, my son and I had tickets for the Kids Bop concert (laughs) at, at Plaza Theater and obviously it was canceled. I would pay money to see you at a kids' bop concert. I, I, I did pay money to to uh, go, and I got canceled. And I had to explain to my six year old why. And he's a smart little kid, yeah. so he's not going to be like, "You don't concerts don't get canceled, Dad. Tell me why." You know. And um, I had to have a conversation with him about murder and about yep. death. And um, there's bad people in the world, but we don't have to be afraid. And um, I saw him lose a little bit of his innocence that day. I had had the same conversation with our daughter yesterday. We were sitting on the couch watching Chopped, which we always watch at our house for some weird reason. And uh, she just looked at me and said, Dad, why are there bad people in this world? And just having to answer that to an eight-year-old little girl. What did you say? I said, um, I explained to her that because God loves us, he's given us free will. And I explained what that meant to her, that because we have free will, we're able to make our own decisions. And sometimes people make decisions to hurt other people. And, uh, and I asked her, I said, does that make sense to you? And she said, yeah, I, that makes sense to me. And I said, sometimes people are just mean and sometimes evil is just evil. And, you know, and, and the thing that, that I was telling her and I actually had a, um, the lady that manages the, the Gucci store at the mall of millennia, they, they lost two of our employees, their employees, they go to our church and, so she called me and asked me to come speak with the, their staff as well. And, and I explained to the, the staff at Gucci and also my daughter, like, but there's a lot more really good people in this world than there are bad people. And so just kind of the same thing that you were saying to, to Cohen is like, right now, all we see is bad people because that's what the news covers. But there's a lot of really good people in this world. And so we don't have to walk around afraid all the time and freaked out all the time. Um, because there are good people in this world. Can we just say what an amazing job Anderson Cooper has done this yeah. week, by the way? Yeah. I mean, he's refused to say the name or show the image of the killer, yeah. Yeah. and he's told the stories yeah. with great empathy of yeah. the victims. And, I mean, it has been moving yeah. watching yeah. that guy. Yeah, he's done good. And, and, and even what John Oliver said to, to echo uh, what you guys were just saying, it's you know, the bad guys are outnumbered, and I yeah. feel like part of our job is the as the church is to continue to keep it that way and to, you know, pray for grace for 
each one of ourselves that yeah. that you know God would keep us as a voice for good and would open doors for us to show compassion and love to people who are hurting, no matter what the circumstances are. And that is the encouraging thing about the thy kingdom come, thy yeah. will be done, you know, is that, you know, we're called to establish a kingdom and that's by, you know, serving people. After the conversation I had with Cohen on Saturday, when I'm, you know, leaving on Sunday and I'm thinking about how do I pa- parent him through this, you yeah. know, uh, Facebook, somebody on Facebook posted a, a quote from Mr. Rogers that said, uh, was, he said, he tells the story of when he was a little child and they were watching the news and a disaster would happen. His mom said to him, Whenever bad things happen, always look for the helpers. Always look, look on the sidelines. There's always helpers. Yeah. And and to the point that there's always way more good people in yep. a situation yeah. than bad. And you know what? You guys are on the front lines and you guys are leading the church in this city, especially the church around the area where all this is happening. And it's affected so many lives. And you guys are among those helpers. And I just want to say thank you um, for, for what you guys are doing and how you're shepherding your communities. Thanks for being with us today. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks for having us. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. This week's podcast is brought to you by Bombas Socks. Did you guys know that socks are the number one most requested item in homeless shelters? Bombas was founded to help solve that problem. It's an athletic sock company where for every pair purchased, a pair is donated to those in need. And to date, more than 900,000 pairs have been donated. I uh, flew cross-country this week, and on both uh, flights uh, was wearing my Bombas. But, but when you say wearing your Bombas, you should clarify only wearing your Bombas on your feet. Yeah. No, yeah, no right. Shoes. Yeah, once you get on the plane, you kick the shoes off because your feet swell. But with Bombas, <laughs> you're like a comfortable hug for your toes the entire flight. And if I'm not mistaken, Cameron, you also like to uh, kick the kick the pants off <laughs> so, for maximum re- relaxation. Uh, why are Bombas so comfortable? There, a few reasons. There's no toe seam. They stay up. And they feel like you're walking on clouds. Hey, if you need new socks, uh, go check out Bombas. They have a great offer for relevant podcast listeners. They believe in 100% customer happiness. So if you don't love their socks as much as uh, we say you will, they'll refund you. No questions asked. Go to bombas.com slash relevant, all lowercase, and use the offer code relevant to get 20% off uh, your purchase at Bombas. And don't try to figure out how they do the seamless toes. I mean, it's just a mystery and just leave it that way. Yeah. (laughs) And it makes a difference. It does. It It really does. They're wonderful. They're wonderful socks. Well, uh, like I said at the beginning of the show, uh, we're doing things a little bit different this week. And, you know, obviously um, uh, the the pastors have left the room. uh, The adults have left the room. And uh, now, as John Oliver said when he uh, introduced his show on Sunday night. And now please enjoy our stupid show. So joining us uh, from Portland, Oregon, Joy Egrich-Reed. Present. And all the way from Sydney, Australia, new father, Adam Smith. Hey, everybody. Congrats, man. Thank you. So Thank uh, you. how'd it go? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, there's a baby here, so uh, <laughs> I'd say well. Were you, in, were you in the room the whole time? <laughs> uh, yes, yes, I was. It's funny because, you know, uh, it was a C-section, and when they do that, they, they have like the curtain up. Yeah. You know, 
between you and all the the horrifying yeah things. the terribleness yes and then when the the they bring the baby out they they tell you like okay okay get ready for it we're about to drop the curtain and honest to god it's like an oprah episode where they drop the curtain and it's like you get a baby you get a baby everybody gets a baby <laughs> how many babies did your wife have yeah <laughs> well one, one of our nurse. own but we got four or five more <laughs> uh, they do things different in australia i guess <laughs> <laughs> they it's bundle a government them there. program. That's what you get with socialized medicine. <laughs> <laughs> they multiply the baby instantly. Well, we're excited to have you. Uh, last week you were going to be on the show, but you were you guys were in the midst of uh, all the baby things. So I'm glad all to have you. Stuff. It's fun. And uh, Joy, you've been off on assignment for a couple of weeks. So we're glad to have you back. We missed you. Thank you. Thank you. We had a very short uh, two-week Boys of Summer run. And, now and that... I heard it was very successful. People on Twitter were basically saying they don't care if I ever come back. <laughs> <laughs> no, the boys, the, the two-week Boys of Summer run lasted uh, uh, 13 days uh, more than it needed to. Yeah. <laughs> the one comment I saw on the podcast I did was basically insinuating that, Joy, that you needed to come back to stop this foolishness. <laughs> but, but coupled with, but I kind of like it. <laughs> People enjoy, you know, you like, you want to eat all the candy one time, but you don't want to like, it like <laughs> yeah. it's good that Halloween is once a year, yeah. you know, you don't want to yeah. have it like every week. Yeah. I'll, I'll be, I'll be sure to leave every summer for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> what we're saying is too, too much of us basically will ensure that you get diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was a, it was a diabetic dose of boys of summer. Yeah. <laughs> If you if you listen to it two weeks in a row, your foot falls off. <laughs> yeah, there's a guy still in a coma. We don't know what happened to him. And well, all his teeth got rotten too. Uh, well, Eddie Koffels, who's normally on the show, is off uh, doing important IJM work this week. So uh, we're glad to have Adam join us again. Um, coming up on the show this week, other than you know the the segment that you just heard, we have a, a great guest, Hillsong Young and Free. Speaking of Australia, uh, joins us to tell us kind of the deeper stories behind their new album, Youth Revival. So that's cool. Okay, well, you know, this week uh, has been a, a sobering one for a lot of us. But thankfully, Jesse, in the midst of all this, the one reprieve I've had is the NBA Finals are going yeah. on. And uh, Jesse, yeah. uh, have you been watching? I have, but I can I be honest with you? I got distracted earlier in the week by another basketball-related story. Oh, What's okay, that? so like a lot of you guys, I've been following. I'm not a like a, a Golden State Warriors fan, but Steph Curry's been electric this year, yeah. you know. And I don't regularly wear basketball shoes, but I honestly thought about getting a pair of the high top Curry twos for when I do go to the gym. <laughs> They're not really streetwear, you know what I mean? Those aren't shoes. Those aren't kicks you wear uh, with jeans. They're not like Jordans, right. you know. Right. They're, they're performance oriented. Right. That's obviously why I wanted them. Right. <laughs> have Have you seen them? That's my question. Well, well, the, well, the original high tops, I really like, but so this week under armor, they waited to the NBA finals as this great marketing moment. And they posted a picture on the internet of his new low top version, which is, uh, uh, for, for, if you haven't seen it, I'm going to describe it. Uh, <laughs> imagine, uh, those white new balances dads wear with, uh, <laughs> jeans that get real tight at the ankles that, you know, are the go-to grass cutters. Kind of like, like acid wash jeans. Yeah, yeah. imagine yeah. those, but uglier. <laughs> but uglier. <laughs> it's basically like you can play in the NBA finals and then give them straight to your granddad for his physical therapy session. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like the kind you would wear with those flesh color sock things if you have circulation problems. And, and the memes that were going around were great because people were renaming them on the internet. They were renaming the mall walkers, the chefs. 
you know, any number of things. And uh, there was two things that happened that I wanted to get y'all's feedback about. The first was Steph Curry refuses just to say, okay, a swing and a miss. I've had a great year. I hit 400 three-pointers this year. My original shoe outsold everything by a huge margin. You can't win them all. Like, let me get a new color scheme or something with these. But he did. (laughs) Steph Curry doubled down, okay? (laughs) He, He took a marker and wrote on the shoes while he was wearing them, straight and fire emoji. So he, you know, he was saying in an interview, these shoes are straight fire, and he wrote them on. Can I just say, if you have a lame pair, if you have a lame pair of shoes, right. writing straight fire on them does not make them straight <laughs> yeah. fire. Like, if I have, like, a car, right, that is a hazard to be on the road, or it's just embarrassing, or it's just something that an, an, an older person that can't drive a normal car for some reason would drive, which are the shoe, which is, like, the shoe equivalent. If I write straight sweet ride on it that doesn't make it a sweet ride like, like <laughs> if you had a white pt cruiser yeah that's essentially what these shoes are and yeah, then if put i if i it. if i had or a bluetooth headset <laughs> <laughs> and i wrote on there like iphone 6 it doesn't make it an iphone 6 <laughs> like i'm still gonna look like the guy with the bluetooth the guy, but I just look like I'm in denial and sensitive about it. It's like it's like the Simpsons when Homer's brother let him create a car. Yes. <laughs> the, okay. So so that happened, and then the other part was like it had started to die down, and I don't want to do too deep of a cut. You know, I don't want to get too far into sports talk, but I'm sure most people are familiar with uh, current Michigan head coach Jim Harbaugh. Okay, uh, if you don't, if you are familiar, oh, football, with dad, dad, yeah, yeah, football, dad pants Harbaugh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so <laughs> if there's one thing you need to know about Jim Harbaugh relevant to this story, it's that he has publicly gone on record to say that the only pants he buys are eight dollar pleated khakis from Walmart. Really, that is the true. man makes seven million dollars a year. Exactly, he's a former NFL quarterback thing. and NFL <laughs> head coach, and he only buys. $8 pleated khakis. For some reason, and, and, and to my knowledge, he has no association with Under Armour or Steph Curry <laughs> or the Golden State Warriors. Right. But for some reason, he decided to throw himself in the middle of this debate earlier. <laughs> oh, he did it. <laughs> and took to Twitter and basically said, guys, I don't see what the big deal is. Oh, no. <laughs> These things are sweet. <laughs> it's but- almost like someone at Nike paid him to say that. <laughs> like, Someone at Nike said, someone at Nike said, you know what would be hilarious right now? Like, because they're just laughing all the way to the bank. They got they got showed up this year. They got showed up at their own yeah. game, which is basketball. Yeah, Ni- yeah, Nike did. Yeah, for people who don't know, I mean, Steph Curry's shoes, Steph Curry famously signed with Under Armour. So mm-hmm. so this whole rivalry with Nike. Well, the LeBron shoes, the Kevin Durant shoes, and Nike done terrible this year. And uh, the Steph Curry shoes outsold them all combined. I mean, it's like this That's huge crazy. win for Under Armour. So so you're saying Nike is doubling, Nike's pouncing now. So Nike saw the opportunity, and they, they saw the memes going and they said let's call up the one guy <laughs> who epitomizes dad fashion on the athletic level because look, look i mean i feel like dad fashion it, maybe it's just the circles that i run in or the athletes that i care about i feel like it's going in the other direction i feel like there's been some course correction from like you know cargo shorts with tucked in polo shirts right you know right well, like that's that's about as casual and cool as it got for a while. Yeah, there, there's a small generation of dads where that is that's that's the Buffalo Wild Wings night attire. Yeah, 
So, I, and I feel like Jim Harbaugh, you know, personifies that. So, I think Nike may have put him up to that just to rub it in Steph Curry's face. Well, I but it know. looks like I'm actually on the Under Armour website right now, and it, it almost looks like Under Armour kind of did it to themselves, too. If you look at all the different names of the colors, it, the green ones, versions of this are combat green. The red ones are rocket red. The ones that are green and white are actually called white, and then there's a black pair. And then the all white ones that look like the nursing shoes are just called Chef. Oh, chef. no. Does that stand it, it, for something, or are they calling all chefs to wear these? <laughs> well, it looks like something a chef would be required to wear yeah. with those, like, you know, sweatpant things that, that they have to wear. Those Zubaz <laughs> pants. Yeah, which I never understood, by the way. Why is a chef required to wear Zubaz pants? Yeah, all black Zubaz <laughs> pants. It's, it's just utilitarian, Jesse, because you can fit a lot of ham down those pants. <laughs> if you've got, you got a busy shift, you don't want to be rooching around for the ham. That's yeah, let, true. Yeah, let me ask you, what other pants can you fit that level of ham? Yeah, on? like the, the hams are just flying out the kitchen. And like, you don't have time to keep going back to the larder and getting more. So you just shove them down those pants yeah. and you're ready to go. You, you can keep all your supplies in those big black Zubaz pants. <laughs> those, those curry twos are so dad-like. They might as well come with an overly long braided belt that loops over because you don't have any room. Oh, maybe they just want to get people talking and see, look, it worked. We just gave them like 10 minutes of free publicity. But, but you know? not all publicity is good publicity. <laughs> or maybe they wanted to branch out to their non-sport you know, sport clientele, you know, the show. If, if you had to ask me what we would spend 10 minutes talking about this today, I would have thought maybe, maybe Adam's baby. You know, maybe that would be a, a thing. Maybe Joy would kind of regale us with tales of what she did over the last few weeks. No, we're talking about Chef Curry, <laughs> Steph Curry's shoes. Okay. All right. Yeah, it's like Under Armour said, you know, we just won the basketball game. We're taking over the cafeteria game right now. <laughs> Untapped market. And now, yeah, now we're coming for the mall walk. Well, think about it. There's a lot of chefs out there. <laughs> There's probably more chefs and mall walkers in the world than people who play basketball. I'm guessing they they probably sat down at the boardroom table and they're like, you know what, guys? We've actually been a little too successful this year. Let's not get greedy. (laughs) Yeah, the official home of nursing homes, the official shoe of nursing homes around the country. Think about it. (laughs) Nursing homes, mall walkers, actual nurses, and chefs. That is a massive market. They know what they're doing. And they all want to pay $120 for their shoes. They are printing money at Under Armour right now. <laughs> yeah, they, they, need, they need to come like a, a standard with, with Bugle Boy pants, I think. I think they just need to part, I think they just need to call a spade a spade, and they need to partner with Bugle Boy on this thing. A nice rayon print shirt, uh, braided leather belt, acid wash Bugle Boy jeans, and the Chef Curry all white. U- Union Bay proudly presents. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's move the show along. Stay tuned. Up next, we got a big slices section for you. to Banks and Steels. The song is Giant. At the beginning of the podcast, you heard Paper Out with their new one, uh, Chariots. 
Look at that, Christian music starting the show. Okay, it's time for slices. What do you have, Jesse? All right, I got I got a two for today because uh, we were talking off air. I think we all were out thinking each other that we were each going to bring uh, a similar slice, so we brought backups. And well, I'm just going to go ahead and bring both of them. Well, and we didn't do it in case you missed it because we had the special section up at the front, and so yeah. we just kind of changed things up a little bit this week. And so you guys over prepared for slices to, yeah. to make up for the lack of in case you missed it. So I appreciate yeah. that. Uh, hopefully, I don't under deliver as normal. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, this is one I wanted to talk about: uh, uh, a stately, a real estate blog has taken it uh, upon themselves to once and for all rank every state from worst to last. No. And this is objectively the worst state, okay? Uh, but here's how they did it. Because you could look at economy, you could look at crime rates, you could look at any number of factors that people typically look at. But that's not really with the worst states. You know, that those kind of things hop around from time to time. Here are their criteria. They use eight factors, and they looked at how common uh, these these different things were in the state to, to, to rank all states uh, from worst to last. So here's the factors they use. Arby's locations per capita. <laughs> <laughs> Number one, there's eight of these. Vape shops per capita. Oh, <laughs> well, that would, yeah. Google searches for people looking to buy a hoverboard. <laughs> Google searches for egg salad recipes. <laughs> I'm sorry. Egg salad? Egg salad's objectively terrible. And it's even worse if you wait one day. It's, it's, it's unedible. Uh, total number of Nickelback concerts per capita held each in each state, obviously. Oh, my God. Jesse, do you realize it, that just... From your own Google habits, you've tanked Virginia. <laughs> you've tanked Virginia. <laughs> I've skewed the whole thing. Yeah. I, I wrote them a, a concerned letter. Uh, Facebook fans <laughs> of the singer Chris Brown. Okay, number seven is one I disagree with uh, greatly. Maybe maybe I further skewed Virginia. Magicians per capita. <laughs> <laughs> And finally, people expressing interest in Goop, Gwyneth Paltrow's uh, lifestyle publication. So they looked at all of those factors, and they looked at uh, 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 how prevalent they are in each state. I, I want to go around the table real quick <laughs> and see if any, I doubt you will, but can anyone guess what ranked number one objectively? Like I said, these are objective standards here that we can measure. What is the worst state in the United States based on those Look, factors? Fl- Florida is Florida is my home uh, I love Florida. I have a, like a just a, a profound sense of connection to it. But yeah. I cannot imagine a single ranking list of of U.S. states by by any set of uh, metrics where Florida doesn't come out dead last. No, I, come on. You got to think. You got West Virginia, Mississippi. Come on. And think about the criteria. We have beaches. Joy, what's your what's your guess? Georgia just came to mind. I don't know why. All right, Cameron. Uh, I would, uh, I would say West Virginia. Well, based on these criteria I just named, uh, the the worst state in in the union, and stately, uh, uh, reminds us that is the home of Chris Angel. <laughs> As if that, if that alone wasn't enough, the state of Nevada, based wow. on those standards, okay, is the worst state in the fair. country. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> that's fair. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Have you guys spent a lot of time in Vegas? Have I spent? I've I've only been in Vegas a couple times. Yeah, I've I've had the misfortune of of spending a, a decent amount of time there uh, in the past for work stuff, and it is just like a museum to to failure. Oh. It's, ter- it's terrible. They literally have set up the whole city so that you don't go outside. 
There are yeah. like no benches to sit down in and like no parks, nothing. It's just like go inside, smoke and pull the handle on the slot machine. Yeah. yeah. And they it's also so have awful. a lot of Arby's. Number one uh, <laughs> selling market for the uh, Steph Curry twos, ironically. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of chefs there. Uh, uh, number two, uh, according to these uh, uh, standards, was Oklahoma. Number three, Nebraska. Four, Ohio. Five, Delaware. Uh, Delaware. So those are the top five yeah. worst. Yeah. Delaware. Uh, Delaware's not even a state. That's just a place to park your car if you're meeting friends from New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> Del- yeah, Delaware is the shopping center on the side of town that you forgot was there. That you, you know, <laughs> that has like a sword shop at it now. <laughs> that has one of those like creepy smoke shop and a shop next door that sells like a, a, a sword memorabilia. Uh, the number one best state in the union, based on these criteria, was New Hampshire. But Joy, uh, Oregon came uh, right behind it. Uh, with wow. it had very few of any of these things. So now you know if you're traveling across the country. Uh, which ones to to avoid if, if you like none of the following things. So uh, that was, uh, 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 you know, a great piece of investigative journalism that I was able to locate. But I wanted to bring up one uh, more very uh, concerning story. Uh, did you guys see a city in China was looking for a unique way uh, to boost tourism dollars, okay? So uh, they, they were thinking, how can we help our local economy here by getting more people to visit? That's when they had an idea. What if people would come to our uh, local village here and pay money to stay in the hotels, eat at the shops, if they knew that we had a large population of wild monkeys that they could see and visit? <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? Uh, they, they, so the, the thinking was they could bring in monkeys and they would set up some sort of like natural park wait, wait, for wait, them wait. to live in. Let me, let me just back up for a second. Yeah. They didn't already have monkeys. No, 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 no. This was a monkey-free village. Okay. So, 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 so you know, conceivably, there was some city council meeting <laughs> where they're like, guys, this is a blue sky session here. <laughs> we need people to come. The economy's tanked. No bad answers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no bad ideas here. And the first one, I was like, uh, where there's like a bunch of monkeys. <laughs> it was between that and like, a, you know, the world's l- largest ball of yarn or something. And they went with the monkeys. Yeah. Uh, and, and, but, but the plan was, wasn't just out of the roaming wild. Right. They would bring in the monkeys. Yeah. Uh, you know, set them outside the village, and they got a local uh, a business to pledge to build like this cool natural park for the monkeys to live in, and people could go and visit. Because, I'll be honest with you, if you had a park full of uh, you know a ton of monkeys, yeah. who's not going to want to go visit that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, listen, if you if there Maybe was a they city, built an airport like, just to bring people in. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> if there was a city, let's say three hour drive away, and I knew they had a giant monkey park, I'd be tempted to go visit at some point. Oh yeah. I mean, if you just run out of things to do, it's not that bad of an idea when you think about it. Um, so what happened? I mean, haven't we all had a season in our life where we imagined what it would be like if we could walk around holding hands with a monkey that was wearing a diaper? That's that's actually, that's why I had kids. <laughs> <laughs> so, so back in 2003, the villagers, and this is according to a report in Mashville, the villagers spent a total of, of 48 days, okay? They spent over a month and a half transporting 73 apes from nearby mountains and setting them up in the village. Did they do it one at a time? <laughs> That's what I was like. How long does it take to move seventy three eight? They're just driving them back and forth in an old pickup truck. So they went out into the wilderness and got them. So these weren't in captivity already. These were not like domesticated zoo monkeys. Okay, and, but the plan was to. Br- I and I kind of think they 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 did things a little backwards. You would think you would build the the 
habitat for them first. Right. Wait, <laughs> they didn't? <laughs> so they no. put the monkeys somewhere and then tried to build a fence around them. Yeah, well, and, what ha- and to make matters worse, the, the guy who ended up proposing to build the park ended up passing away a few years into the project, and then all the money dried up, and the monkeys wouldn't leave. At that point, they had posted up. Fast <laughs> four, 10 years, those 73 monkeys have multiplied and they've overtaken the village. <laughs> the, the people there don't know what to do, but the monkeys are literally running wild and running the show there. They're breaking into homes, they're stealing food, and they've moved just into the downtown and no one knows what to do with them. So instead of being a tourist attraction, it's literally driving people away from the village. So I think we've all learned an important lesson here. Which is? Brainstorming is a terrible idea. Brainstorming is a terrible idea. <laughs> this is appropriately, appropriately, this seems like a monkey's paw type wish. That they're like, you know, we wish we could draw people to town with some monkeys. And it's like, you want monkeys? Here's all the monkeys in the world. <laughs> and it's like, well, now I actually do want to visit that village. Yeah. <laughs> but now that everybody's leaving, the monkeys are running out of food, and now they're having a meeting, and they're like, how can we get the humans to come to our town? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, so that's an important lesson for anyone in the tourism industry. In case you were thinking about just spending a month and a half driving monkeys one by one into town, that's not a great idea. Uh, yeah, did they only have a motorcycle to get the monkey there? <laughs> just a motorcycle with a sidecar. <laughs> yeah, so, so day one of the big monkey move, like everyone in town's like, all right, here we go. This plan is flawless. Who's got a truck we can borrow? <laughs> <laughs> it was probably like that logic problem with the fox and the grain and the chicken, and they just had a canoe that they had to go back and forth with like a monkey and a bunch of bananas and a guy who liked to eat monkeys. What logic problem are you talking about? Have you never heard that where you have the you have the grain, the fox, and the chicken, okay. and you have to get them across the river? You can't okay. leave the chicken with the grain because it'll eat the grain. Right. You can't leave the right. fox with the chicken because it'll eat the chicken, and you right. have to figure out what's the least number of trips you can make carrying just two items at a time to get all three across the river without one eating the other. What's the answer? It, real, real quick, this is this is this week's puzzler on Car Talk. Yeah. Oh, is yeah, it? Exactly. No, this I'm is the editorial question of the week. Oh, that could be. No, yeah, actually, the answer is you sit down and take a good hard look at your life. <laughs> like, like why, why do I even need to do this? <laughs> like, what scenario necessitates me hauling grain, a chicken, and a fox across a river? Yeah, like, now, like, now yeah I, I, I got to be doing something wrong here. Yeah, like in the cold light of day, none of this seems that urgent. <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be a bridge somewhere. Yeah, like, I could, in all honesty, I could probably do without one of these items. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a hard time figuring out what I'm going to need this box for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the answer. The decision to purge. No. Oh my goodness. Oh, okay. Well, what do you have, Joy? Um, all right. Well, I was first going to try to cover the food beat with Shauna's absence. Um, and I, I'm not going to, but I do want to say if anybody's interested, they should Google about the 22 pound pile of butter that was found in a bog in Ireland that's 2,000 years old. Fascinating story. So that was uh, in honor of Shauna. Um, But then right before uh, I got on, I saw that there was an article that came out about in the New York Times about Emerson College. You guys know that small school in Boston? Yeah. Yeah, I do. But real quick, can I go back to the butter thing? (laughs) (laughs) Because if I was in a bog, which is like, I'm assuming, you know, it's like a swamp in Ireland. And I saw like, it was 22 pounds, you said? 
Yeah, 22 pounds, 2,000 years old. I don't, you know, visually, I don't know what a 22-pound ball of butter looks like, but 22 pounds isn't that heavy. I mean, it's heavy, but it's not absurdly heavy, Right. you know? You're asking why you wouldn't cart it off with you. Yeah. Well, well, no, no, I'm I'm asking how would I even know that it's just not a big ball of mud and not butter? Did the person that find it, was he just randomly (laughs) tasting things in the ball and be like, hey, look, this one's butter. Yeah. No, it, it was a solid mass because apparently the, like, dynamics within a bog are, like, perfect for preserving butter. (laughs) And apparently back in the day, Irish people, like butter was something for very wealthy people. It was very extravagant. And so people would use it to pay like their rent or pay taxes. And so apparently butter balls have been being found in Ireland recently. (laughs) But but again, again, if I saw a butter, a ball, an old ball of butter in in the dirt, I would just assume it's just some weird mud thing. Yeah. Like, unless it's in the shape of a stick of butter, I would not think anything fishy is happening here. It was probably a guy who had a lot of English muffins. And he was just like, you know what? I, these muffins are dry. I'm going to spread something on them. And I don't care what it is, frankly. And he just hit the jackpot. I'm going to go down to the bog. I'm going to stick this butter knife just randomly in some gigantic ball and rub it in every nook and cranny in these English muffins. And look at this. It's a giant ball of butter. If your foot hit something that was obviously not a rock, I mean, it's, it was like this. It was you're, in a, you're in a bog. Yeah, your first assumption would be like 2,000-year-old butter. Yeah, yeah no question. Yeah. And he was right. Like, I found yeah. it. How many hikes have I been on? Been like I stepped in something. I'm, I, that is either uh, uh, some sort of animal dropping, or that's some really old butter. I got to taste this. Thing. <laughs> no, they said it's not they butter. said it's not butter. That it really did. Like <laughs> I can't believe it, but it's definitely not. <laughs> no, they said it smelled step. like butter. Which I mean, I can't imagine that the whole bog smelled of butter. But when they pulled it out of the bog, it was it was butter. It was a really hot day and it smelled like a Texas roadhouse. That's how he knew. (laughs) Exactly. Just a pile of popcorn it smelled like. Um, Okay, so uh, the other article that I was more excited about, I'm really intrigued by this. So Emerson College in Boston has just declared that they are going to have a BFA, a Bachelor of Fine Arts, um, in comedic arts. And so this whole article in the New York Times was talking about the, the person who wrote it they were um, like a creative writing major. So they're like, I can't really critique it because the, the, the question could always be like, can you actually teach someone to write or are they just a really good writer? Can you actually teach someone to be a comedian or are they do they just either have or they don't? And that was... That was kind of like the debate for several years because this actually isn't a great selling point, but the, the woman who started the program is Marty Cook, who wrote Full House. <laughs> um, <laughs> and she's been pushing this for years um, and has really had to convince um, the school uh, that it will be a serious uh, a major. And so it's just gotten passed. And um, and I just thought it was really fascinating that that's been the pushback that people are like you're either funny or you're not because um, I think we've talked about I've taken improv classes and I'm not hilarious but the whole thing is that the principles of improv are to teach you to work as a group yeah. and to teach you to like our teachers always like if you're trying to be funny you're going to ruin this for everybody else and so there's so many principles that I've learned that play out into all areas of life that I find. 
I, I basically want to go back to school and go to Emerson. <laughs> I, I can understand why the person who created Full House would assume that anyone could do comedy. Oh. <laughs> Seriously, this is really easy. Any, literally, anyone could do this. Yeah. Okay, so the, the other uh, interesting aspect is, you know, can you teach someone comedic yeah. techniques to be funny, yeah. especially if, if uh, the gold standard is full house. The other thing is you, you, you get out of college and you, I have a degree in comedy. Can't wait to hit that job market. Look out, Nebraska. No, like, but wh- no, that's what they're saying is like, no, look, like the classes, there's comedy writing for TV, comedy writing for late night television, um, you know, comedic storytelling, the evolution of comedy. So it's, a, and, and you're studying theater as well. They're studying Shakespeare. She, she's saying one of the classes is all on Freud. So it's, and if you look at the history of TV, like the number of comedic shows that were out there even just a decade ago versus now, comedy is just skyrocketing compared to all other categories of television. So, and one of the programs is a semester long internship in LA working on a show. Yeah. And before you scoff at it, Jesse, as, as some sort of useless major, you should know that people laughed at that Irish guy when he majored in bog butter recognition. <laughs> 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 Two thousand years later, who's getting a last laugh now? Yeah, but do you? What do you, I mean? What do you think about that? Do you feel like you can teach someone uh, to be uh, a comedian? I here's here's the deal. I I we post a job opening for like a designer, and I'll get four hundred applications, and all of these people have studied in school. They've done. In fact, most of them are showing me pretty much the exact same portfolio because they all do the same projects, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Having successfully been able to study and meet the requirements of a degree program does not mean that you have the talent to be great at that craft. So, I mean, it's like any other major. I mean, just because I studied history doesn't mean I'm going to be one of the great historians, you know? I mean, so... It, it, fine, people can study it if they're interested in it, but that does not mean that they'll be good at comedy when they get on on the other side, because that's where talent does kick in. I, I think that you you have to have some latent ability in the first place, but I do think that you can learn to be funnier. Yeah, by sure. Examining, like honestly, I'm you know I'm not holding us up as the paragon of comedy, although we are. Um, <laughs> but I think part of you know, part of what's worked is, you know, I speaking for myself and I think uh, definitely Jesse as well. Like there's a lot of times where we, we dissect, okay, this is funny. Why was this funny? You know, yeah. and what would actually make this funnier? Yeah. And, right. and in having this discussion, we've managed to suck all the comedy out of it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I was going to say, the other concerning part, is, as you alluded to, Adam, that this course is coming from the person that cast Dave Coulier. <laughs> and not only did they cast him, they gave him a puppet woodchuck to use, okay? The, the best joke this person ever wrote was having a little girl say, how rude. Yeah. I know, I was, I was so fascinated by this article and then my eyes read across that and I was like, no. But again, she she could probably show you her monthly income still yeah. from the residuals and go, yeah, who's laughing now, Jesse? But but I think I think it's the thing of like, if someone's interest, like you're right, Cameron, someone you know may go to four years of college and realize I may, I'm not a poet. That's what I was interested in, but I'm not. But it's the heightening of and I feel like there hasn't been a recognition of comedy as a craft, you know, and so I, I think this is awesome that they're doing it. And I think it's um, I, I've often thought about like 
if you look at old Saturday Night Live and new Saturday Night Live, like our generation, we'll laugh at some of the old Saturday Night Live stuff, but some of it is just so much slower, so much like sillier slapstick. And then now I think about like all of our kids and how constantly they are on camera and they can see themselves. And I've already thought like at a young age, they're learning to refine comedy more than because we weren't watching ourselves as much, you know? So I think comedy is just going to continue to... um, uh, be a part of more people's lives, just like you see on TV of being more in more programs. The, most of the, most of the, like the comedians that I listen to that talk about how they learn the craft, you know, maybe it's because there aren't that many courses offered in comedy, but most of them learned, you know, in the stand up club, not in the classroom. I guess the exception would be something like Second City, where they teach a lot of methodology and a lot of funny people. Well, come out and there. Judd Apatow talks that he, was a student of comedy. I mean, like yeah. Yeah. when he was in high school, he was interviewing, I have his book where he he uh, interviewed Jerry Seinfeld and all the comedians that were coming through town as a high school reporter, essentially for a school paper, because he wanted to learn like how to be funny. And, yeah. and, and then he realized his, his skill isn't being on the mic. His skill is he knows funny though, and he can craft funny, so he does movies, you know? Uh, did you guys ever hear that This American Life uh, where they talked about the the writer's room at the Onion. Yeah. No. And how how people would come, they would come and pitch like several hundred headlines yeah. at every each person at every writers meeting every week, and like wow. a dozen and like a dozen of them would make it through. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and like they would get down to, and they were talking about how they at most you might get a chuckle out of people. Yeah. And. As you're just rapid fire reading off these headlines that you put hours into crafting, and they would get all the way down to like dissecting. Like one of them was something about uh, uh, man, man eyes roommate's unopened bag of Doritos, and they're like, okay, well, but we use Doritos a lot. Is there another thing that's as funny as Doritos? And they decided nothing was as funny as Doritos, and so they scrapped the headline. Yeah. Well, it's like, have you ever seen the documentary comedian that Jerry Feinfeld produced years ago yeah. about an up and coming comedian? He got, a, he got a, um, a, a, you know, he got five minutes on one of the late shows and because it was network TV, he had to change his joke from, it was something to, the punchline was you might get lupus. And the network said that you can't make fun of like a real disease. You have to change it to psoriasis. Right, like as the punchline of this joke, and he just, which isn't funny. Well, well, he just decided that he couldn't make the word psoriasis sound as funny as lupus, and killed the joke. But there is an intricacy there. Like there are mm-hmm. weird things that make some jokes funny and some not, yeah. and sometimes it's really hard to figure out what that is. Because it is, it's funny. Saying lupus is funny. But yeah. psoriasis isn't. And that one extra syllable, it kills it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But that's the weird thing. Like, I don't know if you could distill that into that. I'm not, Joy, and I'm just playing devil's advocate here yeah, to yeah, an extent. Yeah. But I don't know if you could teach that in a classroom. Like, some things, uh, you know, I, I don't Especially know. Especially from like, the writer of Full House. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if they, the if they really right think there. that nuanced, you know? Has there ever well, been and, a more is, I mean, that is the dilemma. I mean, Emerson right now is $42,000 a year. But at the same time, like, the only schools, the really prominent schools are I.O. and Groundlings and UCB um, and Second City. But but people pay tons of money and go for 10 years before they get noticed or get on a troop or anything. So, yeah. you know, I mean, there's 
I mean, those are schools. They have all sorts of different classes that are like this. All right. Uh, what do you have, Adam? <laughs> Look, I've just got a, a short one that I'm amazed that Jesse didn't uh, get to because it, it harkens back to the days of yore when we used to uh, kind of prognosticate about how uh, we thought the world would end. And uh, Jesse's kind of ties into it because his is a great example of the chimpocalypse. Right. Yeah. Uh, coming, coming. I mean, to literally a village inviting it. One motorcycle ride at a time inviting yeah. it to their village. Um, and, and mine is the, the other end of the technological spectrum, uh, the robocalypse, yeah. right? Right. Um, a, a, a renegade robot in Russia has caused a traffic jam after escaping from a testing facility. Okay. <laughs> so it was a, it's a, a, a self-learning uh, robot that it was uh, learning automotive movement algorithms and uh, decided once it had learned enough to plot its escape. Oh my so, goodness! Uh, <laughs> what is? What, can you paint a visual picture of this robot? Do you have? Do you have an image in front of you? Yeah. This is the best part, right? Is the the robot itself could not be more ridiculous looking, right? It looks like someone upended an electric razor and set a gumball on top of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just the the dumbest, most uh, innocuous looking robot. When I you think can of cutting edge robotics, I do think of Russia. <laughs> yeah, well, what, when you were telling me a Russian robot, I was in my head the first uh, uh, the first image I had was Ivan Drago. Like, the, 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 the robot looks like Ivan Drago in that training scene in Rocky Three. Yeah, which that would be horrifying. But no one would be frightened of this this robot, which I think makes it all the more frightening because it's so unassuming. What was the, the, the maid on the Jetsons kind of had? In, I haven't seen a picture. I'm That's just going by. That's what it by, looks like. It kind of okay. looks, looks like Rosie, the maid from the Jetsons. Okay, there you go. Um, but apparently an engineer forgot to close the gates when he drove onto the testing grounds and so the robot <laughs> saw his chance and he escaped. And look, I, I didn't know about Jesse's slice before this, but I would say that there's at least a 95% chance that he was headed directly for that monkey village. <laughs> <laughs> How long was he gone before they realized their, their terrible mistake? <laughs> it doesn't really say. It doesn't say how how much freedom he tasted, but probably just <laughs> enough to recognize his captivity. Just enough to become <laughs> self-aware. Oh my god! Just, just enough right. to find a mirror and look into it, perplexed. <laughs> and look into it and say, "I just want to learn to love." <laughs> I, I, I feel bad for the guy that left the gate open. But like, you would think that him? if you work at a, a robotics facility and that you are creating little, you know, animatronic things that are, are you know, have some sort of intelligence, rule number one would be to close the door behind you. Yeah. <laughs> well, and so how did they, how did they capture Hey, listen, guys. With- hey, listen, I'm going to run down to Arby's and grab uh, uh, some lunch real quick, uh, you know. <laughs> and Joy, Joy, to your question, if you saw this robot, you would, uh, I think you would immediately assume that capturing him would be an exceptionally easy task. So it wasn't like it wasn't like a standoff in the middle of the street with the guy who let him out and the robot. I like to think it was. Yeah, me too. I like to picture two engineers at lunch and we're like, uh, "Hey, Frank, uh, you shut the gate, didn't you?" <laughs> like I didn't shut it, but you shut it today, right? I could have sworn one of us shut the gate. Am I just being paranoid, or do we leave the gate open? <laughs> All right. Well, that'll do it for slices. Stay tuned. Up next, Hillsong Young and Free. Join us. Now the 
You're listening to our next guest, Hillsong Young and Free. The song is Real Love. Hillsong Young and Free is from Hillsong Church in Sydney, Australia, and is known for combining EDM and pop influences in their unique style of worship. The band's actually scored two number one radio singles, and their latest album, Youth Revival, debuted in the Billboard Top 50. We talk with the band about their musical influences and some of the deeper messages behind their newest songs. Here is Hillsong Young and Free. want to make music that's fun and we want to make um, music that I guess highlights the joy of, of, of knowing Christ but I think it, it comes out naturally you know the songs are because um, there's so many guys writing and there's so, there's so many of us doing it together and so I think it's just kind of this blended expression of everybody's what everyone loves so there's so many guys just writing so many people just with different tastes and it just all comes together and it creates this kind of craziness and, and I think it does it comes out naturally I think originally like way back when we were when we were still like discovering what our sound was uh, when we were creating the first album it was like on our hearts to make the types like the types of songs the types of music that would like allow people to dance and have a good time and so um, it is very intentional because I think like I mean originally and still to this day we're, we're creating music for youth and for young people and we had our like youth programs in mind and we wanted people to come in and actually have a good time and, and experience the joy of the world like Aiden said um, in a time where there perhaps you know wasn't there wasn't room for that like there wasn't there wasn't that actually being a reality at the time and so that, that like that defined our, our sound. So when it came to making the second album, Youth Revival, um, it was a very natural progression because it's so much of our identity, I think. song you're about to listen to is called Where You Are and um, uh, I've just sung with uh, Alex Pappas, Michael Fatkin and Ben Hastings and um, pretty much the song is about, I mean, we, when we came into the studio one night we were talking a lot about the idea of, um, of life without Jesus and life with Jesus and um, you know, all of us being Christians we were just like it's crazy how at one point in our life we didn't know Jesus and, um, and the things that we would do like the, the you know the dumb things we would do to like to have fun or, or things that we would um, I don't know get up to but not that it was crazy but we were like but now that we have Jesus like we, you know, there's so much security in it and there's, there's so much joy and we're just like oh it's so cool and so like, well let's write a song about um, I guess um, 
that that moment you realize that you don't need anything else but Jesus and that Jesus is, is, is the best and essentially is the best. And so we wrote this song and at the beginning it was, it was kind of funny because we were like going through like, you know, little dumb things, little ideas about like um, just little life things and, and whatever. And it was, it was a lot of fun. But then it was like, oh, wow, this actually quite, quite um, and it started, it actually started a little bit as, as like a, a ballad. And um, like, oh, this is kind of like, deep and then um i remember the kind of doom 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 part came in and then we're like oh okay <laughs> it's kind of funky and then um but it initially started with ben hastings and i one of the guys we had started in another room and then pappas and fatkin had, had been in another room and um we both had these different ideas and then we came together and we're like oh it works together and so we brought them all together and the song kind of came about and um, it was pretty, it was pretty like, it all happened in one night because one of the guys had to leave at six in the morning, like he was going away overseas for like four weeks and we're like, well, we want to write with this guy before, you know, he goes away. And so we were like, all right, we started at like 10 p.m. and we're like, we have to be done by 6, 6 a.m. And so we just told stories, talked about everything and like, it was the song came together completely by a lot by conversation, just talking about our experiences, and then yeah, by like five thirty we were done eating breakfast, and it was it was over, and that's that's the song, and I think we're pumped with it because it's it, it turned into something kind of quite fun, and um, I mean it's, it's a, the theme of the song is like it's, I guess like a. I don't know, it has a lot of depth to it, but it, it's such a fun song, and so you can sing it and confess it, and 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 but not, not feel, I don't know, weighed down by by the idea because it actually is an amazing thought that when you find Jesus, you actually don't need anything else. So that's the story of the song. It's kind of how it came about.
This song is called Passion and it's a really special song for us, I think, because um, I think because of the process of how it came together, but also because I think it's like the crescendo moment of the album. It's what everything's leading to. And um, at the time, um, we were in the studio and we began to talk about what it must have felt like to be Jesus when he was about to take on the cross. And, um, and we started talking about how he was, you know, fully God that fully man and how everything that we've ever felt he experienced he experienced our hurt and our pain and and uh, fear and all of that yet he was he was perfect and so um we were talking about how um he must have been filled with anxiety we know that because of the word how he was fearful how he wept and um and that kind of conversation sparked the song um and it's so important to, to us because, um, because you know, that it's like that moment of like, you know, like kind of that realization moment where everything changes, where you realize that you need, you need Jesus, you know, he's the missing part in your life and, and you're kind of searching and wondering all, all of your life, um, no matter who you are and what journey you're on, you know, for every Christian, you come to that moment where you have that moment of realization and then be, to be able to sing, you know, and declare like, I found you, um, you know, is, is what it's all about. It's the most, you know, life altering, destiny changing moment of your lifetime. And so that's passion and I'm really, I'm really proud of it. And just the process of, of how it came together with the boys, you know, who wrote it as well was just, it was really beautiful. Um, a beautiful thing. was Hillsong Young and Free. Make sure to check out their new album, Youth Revival. It's out now.
You're listening to Laney. The song is Yeah Babe, No Way. It's their new single. We like Laney. Christian's making good music. Go for it. Okay, it's time for your feedback. Last week, okay, first of all, usually we do corrections and apologies right here. Yeah. Last week I mentioned a Proverbs 11 woman, and I stand by it. Just, just, just say. <laughs> I, uh, what, y'all what don't, y'all don't know what up. part of the Jeez. chapter I was referring to. So you, all of you, saying I meant to say Proverbs thirty-one. No, that's what you wanted me to say. I was. This is a different proverb, yeah. not the proverbs you're thinking of. Yeah, no, this uh, isn't the proverbs of, of the Christian Bible. Here. No, no. <laughs> that's yeah, the problem. Y'all are assuming you know what I meant. I said what I meant, and I stand by yeah, it. This is from a Zoroastrian text. <laughs> no correction. No apology. I stand by Proverbs. 11 woman. Okay, it's time for your feedback. So last week, we asked you the question of the week, what would you like to see happen on the 500th episode and during Trapped in the Cage? So uh, Adam, I don't know if you heard, our 500th episode is coming up July 8th. And to celebrate, we are doing a live uh, taping that afternoon. We're going to stream it for for those who want to hear it live. We're going to do it at like 2 2 p.m. Eastern on July 8th. And then uh, it'll go up like normal in iTunes and everything that night. And and then at 4 o'clock Eastern on July 8th, Jesse's going trapped in the cage. And he's going to watch 24 hours of Nicolas Cage movies uh, oh, man. without breaking. And, now uh, That's the point at which Jesse's sanity is finally, finally ripped away from Snap. him. Yeah, I feel like, I feel, you know, that because of the feat of endurance I've previously accomplished with, with Nickelback, uh, uh, listening to them for a week straight, I'm either, it's either going to be one or two things. Like, I'm either going to, like, do this with, with ease. I'll either, this will be like a Lance Armstrong type of thing where it's no big deal, or I immediately crack. Uh, uh, during the first frame of the movie and have to be carted out there, probably in a helicopter. This is like staring into the face of Cthulhu. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a few things, you know, uh, around this. Last year when he did the Nickelback Challenge, it was to raise money for Charity Water, so we're doing that again. Um, we're still working out all the details, but we have trappedinthecage.com, and uh, people are going to go there and vote on what movies he has to watch. Um, we're going to have auction type things where people can donate to charity water and make Jesse do stuff or wear a hat or whatever during, during the the thing. We're going to live periscope and live stream like Shia LaBeouf did him watching the movies (laughs) and people can also donate to charity water to buy tickets to join Jesse and watch with him if they want to come down to Orlando. This is, this is just the latest in a long string of times that Jesse has drawn comparisons to Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, so, uh, we were, Style rap right now. And, and can I just say too? I know we talked about like training for jobs. You know, I, when I got my degree in journalism, <laughs> this is how I pictured putting it to work: locking myself in a room and raising money for charity by watching Nicolas Cage films. This is what they don't teach you at. Em- Sorry, Emerson. Emerson. This is School of Hard Knocks. Here. School of Hard Knocks. BYU Backyard University. Um, so p- people are wondering details because we were gonna at trappedinthecage.com. We were gonna post all the details this week. Well. Other things happened this week, and so we didn't uh, feel like doing retweets and funny websites and stuff like that over the last few days. But after this show goes up, we will be fleshing out trappedinthecage.com with all the details. We are actually going to be having the screening here in the podcast studio. So no more than like 20 or 30 people can join Jesse. So there's going to be a lot of supply and demand. Um, We will be posting the schedule, so you can look and say, oh, he's going to be watching, you know... 
National Treasure 2 at 1.30 to 3.30. I'll join him for that block. You can buy As it. As I call it, the magic hour. <laughs> you can come and do that. Um, yeah, we'll be here. Jesse uh, uh, will be trapped in the cage, uh, and the rest of us can come and go as we please. But he's going to watch 24 straight hours of Nicolas Cage movies. Now, as we're fleshing out all the ideas, because this is wet cement, we're still like kind of like, how can we get the most impact for charity water how can we you know commemorate our 500th episode the best way possible we asked you guys for your ideas for trapped in the cage and the 500th anniversary or 500th episode celebration you went over to the podcast episode page at relevantmagazine.com you also hit us up on twitter at relevant podcast with some of your ideas here are a few we're considering austin campbell had a great idea to make it more interesting for people he suggested that i watch every movie without blinking I get like a clockwork orange situation. Just take my eyes open and strap me to a chair and watch my mind slowly slip away. That's like me playing Nintendo growing up. I would forget to blink. I was so focused on the game, and then like 15 minutes later, my eyes were just burning and watering. Isn't that a normal human reflex? No, I would. I would. I I don't know. I keep them open, then all of a sudden, I would feel this piercing pain, and and I would start crying. And I realized that I hadn't blinked because I was so focused on getting him in the little, you know, drain pipe or whatever it is that the Mario Brother goes. I don't, think that's, I don't think that's biologically possible. It is. Well, like you, in Clockwork Orange, they just have the nurse cut the you know come over and drop eye drops in your eyes, so you can, literally cannot look away. I think yeah. this is doable. Mom, eye drops now. <laughs> <laughs> it, it sounds like a, a total, totally reasonable suggestion. Uh, Ryan Hughes said that you guys should bring in Nick Cage just to watch the movies with Jesse. Um, he suggested that uh, Nick Cage wouldn't be that hard to bring in. Just make him sit directly next to Jesse, thus removing the buffer. I think I'm assuming it's kind of like in the theater when just raise the armrest. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and then we can all watch the two of you guys watch his movies. <laughs> I think if Nicholas Cage were to actually come, I would not watch any of his films. I would just sit directly across from him, and we would just stare at each other for 24 yeah. straight well, hours. I I think he would probably do it because I you know history proves he's not that picky about the projects he takes <laughs> yeah. on. I think if we offered him 150 bucks and free sandwiches, he'd show up. <laughs> he'd do it. 100. Awesome. What kind of sandwiches you got? <laughs> Uh, pastrami? Okay. He did Season of the Witch. Pastrami. <laughs> then he does the thing in Gone in 60 Seconds where you're like, let's go. Jesse, maybe instead of you guys watching each other, he's watching his film, and then you are just to the left of him watching him. So it's kind of like... Or he's watching Jesse's pre-filmed reenactment of several Nicolas Cage films. <laughs> and then Jesse's watching him watch Oh, those. wait, maybe they do line readings. We just buy the scripts to all the films, and they ha- oh. and Jesse plays oh, all the other roles. And Nic- yes. Cage- I read every line except for Nicolas Cage's, and we have Nicolas Cage's read Nicolas Cage's. Wait, what if I read Nicolas Cage's and Nicolas Cage reads everyone else? I like that. It'd and then like, gives you like acting Eddie singing uh, Kevin Max's parts in DC Talk songs. Uh, <laughs> this one seems fair to me. <laughs> Michael said, how about instead of me watching 24 hours of Nicolas Cage, I only have to watch 2.5 Kirk Cameron movies, which it's basically, I think I think it's like dog years. Like <laughs> Kirk Cameron movies equal 24 hours of regular yeah, human that's time. Not, that is not a fair trade-off. I think he's only made two and a half movies. <laughs> the other, the, so you're saying the plug got pulled halfway through the third? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but nobody noticed. That's the thing. They still put it out and all the Christian bookstores stocked it and nobody noticed it was only half just, a movie. Just 40 40 minutes in, it just goes, yeah, to like, yeah, a a, a prolonged credit sequence and just replays the first 40 minutes again. Oh, uh, Peter said, this one I should probably offer some clarification, that they would love to see a reunion with with former Joe the Neighbor, and he could watch the the 24 hours of Nicolas Cage movie. I promise this is true. 
and I don't, I don't know if it, if I should make light of it or not. I went by his house the other day because I moved and I drove by there. <laughs> the house was abandoned. Now you told us that. Really? Did you say that on the show or not? No. Or was that offline? You told us. Yeah, that's offline. Okay. All right. So now you're telling officially publicly. We don't I'm know what Joe happened. Joe, the neighbor, I, 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 he is. He's gone off the grid. It appears. Uh, I knew it was a matter of time. I'm sure he'll resurface. I'm not all that personally worried, uh, but I, I've momentarily lost track of him. Now, the the house being abandoned, you're saying lights out, it's it's dark, it, it looks un, un, untaken care of. Yes, Are you sure it, he's still not living inside? Just- I'm positive. There was like some sort of piece of paper on the door. I didn't go and read it, but mm-hmm. I'm pretty confident that it's that he... He has flown the coop for a little while. I, I Again, no need to worry, uh, uh, because if there's anything I know about that man, is he's a survivor. Old, old Joe always lands on his feet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, not, not only concerned, but I will say this. I don't think he's going to make it to Lockdown and Cajun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, if he, can, if he can have half that pastrami sandwich that you're offering Nicholas Cage, <laughs> you might have yourself a deal. So we're going to have just like a whole big spread of pastrami sandwiches and hope that Nicholas Cage shows up. Is that the thing? So just kind of like you're, get word yeah. out. In your mind, like a pastrami, a platter, a pastrami sandwich platter is like a Nicolas Cage mousetrap. Like yeah. that's how you're picturing. <laughs> right, right. Like it, he, the smell alone will draw him in. Yeah. Like he's just wandering the night. Right. And he catches a whiff of pastrami, oh, and he's oh, coming. Pastrami. In. But truly, is he on any type of social media where if we like got everyone to like tweet to him or leave him messages somewhere and tell him that this was happening and it was for charity, we could maybe get. I him. think we could get him involved. I think we could get. Him involved i think he'd be a good sport i mean the relevant podcast listeners did that with uh john tesh they 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 went and got john tesh for us um, and i will say nickel they did that with uh, jimmy fallon too jimmy fallon yeah. was coming through orlando and all the podcast listeners started tweeting at him and he sent us a direct message That's awesome. and nickelback at least became aware of the challenge they didn't like yeah. it but they yeah. were aware of it. They, were, <laughs> they were asked about it on the radio so i mean uh, i you know i think we can at least make him aware of this yeah that's true if he's on did, social media. I'm looking Did right I now. ever tell you guys, maybe this is public knowledge, but it, it, I was taken aback by it. Um, a few years ago, uh, my wife and I were on a trip to the States, and we did this big road trip uh, from Orlando to L.A. And uh, we stopped in New Orleans, and we're touring this very historic cemetery. And we noticed, you know, all the, of course, if you've been to New Orleans, you see all the... Uh, Cemeteries, they've, they're above ground crypts because the water table is too high to bury people. And so, right. So uh, we noticed one of these uh, crypts was uh, this elaborate, ostentatious marble pyramid nine with feet tall. some sort of Latin inscription. Oh, at least nine feet tall. No joke, <laughs> at least. No, it is. I, I, know, yeah. I know where you're going. Yeah. It is and, a nine-foot-tall like, pyramid. What in the world is that? And so we went back to the hotel room and Googled it, and that is the crypt that Nicolas Cage has had built for himself in which he will one day be interred. Now, there is rumors that when his uh, tax woes hit and he had to sell one of his castles, that uh, his uh, pyramid tomb was also on the market. Um, but I think he was able to retain it. So that's good. They got they got to bury the guy somewhere. Just so everyone knows, at Nicholas Cage real is not his real Twitter. No, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a Nicholas. I'll be honest. He doesn't strike that. He doesn't strike me as the type of person that spends a lot of time on the internet. Like he's out in the world doing stuff. He's he's you know? sniffing he's for pastrami. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He Nicholas yeah Cage he's looking for cured meats. 
He's buying <laughs> elaborate tombs. He's traveling to castles. He's stealing the Declaration of Independence. He's, he he's running done. places and carrying a flashlight. The thing that Joy left out of her slice was that the bog butter was actually <laughs> discovered by Nicholas Cage. <laughs> butter here. He has so many English muffins. <laughs> I need something to put on these English muffins now. <laughs> <laughs> it's um I, Idris Elba had a story about him. They were filming a movie together. I can't remember. Uh and I can't remember which film it was, but he he was doing like a, a Reddit, you know, AMA or something. They asked him if he had any interesting Nicolas Cage stories. And he said on set, uh he they came he came to work one morning. They were filming like in Romania at the time. And uh he he ran into Nicolas Cage and he's like, Nick, you look you look pretty tired, man. Are everything okay? You know, he goes, Yeah, man. I, I, I slept last night in Transylvania in Dracula's castle. Some weird energy up there. And he's just like, oh, yeah? How come? And he's just like, I got to go, man. And just left. And he's like, that was my only real interaction with him off camera. And he was just like, you know, that's just something Nicolas Cage does. All that to say is I don't think the kind of schedule he keeps I don't think he would be totally opposed to joining us for this thing. I think he's yeah, just got the guys is. looking for experiences, you know? And throw a little pastrami in the equation, just sweeten the deal a little. Are you saying, Jesse, that the movie Vampire's Kiss was actually a Nick Cage documentary? <laughs> <laughs> I think most of his films are either uh, uh, biopics or documentaries. I, I know for a fact he literally stole the Constitution one time. Yeah, and, and he literally was flying a plane when a lot of people were raptured. I mean, it was just bizarre. Just, yeah, yeah. I, the, the first, Adam, I'll concede, the second national treasure is a work of fiction. The first one, where he gets pretty involved with the Freemasons, that's a yeah. documentary. That really not, not a lot of people know the second national treasure is actually the dramatization of the first, which was a documentary. <laughs> well, July 8th, uh, you can go to trappedinthecage.com for more information as we post it. Um, and uh, you can vote on what Jesse's going to have to do and you can donate to Charity Water and we're going to work out all the details in this next week. But uh, July 8th, it's time for Trapped in the Cage to celebrate... <laughs> To celebrate our 500th episodes would be yeah. very exciting. Adam, Con Air, he literally escaped from federal prison one time in an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that'll do it for last week's feedback. It's time for this week's editorial question of the week. Hey. All right, this one, I'm going to lob it to Adam. He has a very special question for this week's. Okay, if you have a fox, a bag of grain, and a chicken, <laughs> and a canoe... And you have to get them all across a river. You can't leave the fox with the chicken, and you can't leave the chicken with the grain. Yeah. Then the question is, what has your life come to? <laughs> no. no, no, we want to know the answer. I don't. I want to know the answer to the riddle. So how that, you get how you get them all across? How you get them yeah, across and safe? I say get creative here. Like, yeah, is, be, Adam, is this the, is there a wrong answer? There, so, there is. There's, there's an actual right answer to this, but I can tell you right now, that's not the answer we're looking for. Although, yeah. <laughs> although, although I personally do want to know what the correct answer is, but, yeah. but I'll uh, tell you the correct answer if you'd like, if you'd actually like to know. Well, not I right think, now. No, yeah, people, not right now. I want to hear what the listeners, yeah, have to say. Yeah. So there you go. Hard hitting questions of our time. Uh, if you have a chicken, a bag of grain and a fox and a canoe and you have to get them all to the other side of the river but you can only take it two at be, a time what do you do yeah it should be noted that the canoe is a means of locomotion back and forth across the river it's not like you're carrying the canoe as one of the items that, <laughs> like you can't leave the canoe with the fox or something 
So the follow-up question is if if you need to get a hundred monkeys to a village and you only have forty-eight days and you can only take one monkey at a time, how do you do it? Yeah, and you only have one and you only have one escaped Russian robot. Yeah. yeah. How does the robot do it? And all you have for bait is a platter of pastrami. <laughs> Go. Well, it's going to be a lot of walking, so thankfully you just bought those Steph Courage 2s uh, yes. to keep your feet comfortable. <laughs> Extremely comfortable. Uh, your circulation, let me say this, should you have any circulation <laughs> problems beforehand, you're going to be okay because they're designed for that kind of stuff. Varicose veins, it's okay. Walking, they're literally designed weight. for that. So you have yeah. the uh, braided belt to help cinch up your pants. Right. That's right. Because after, <laughs> you after lose a weight, long yeah. morning of mall walking, waiting for Auntie Anne's pretzels to open, I'll tell you, my dogs are barking. want to thank our show sponsor, Bombas Socks. Remember, you can go to bombas.com slash relevant and use the offer code relevant. Get 20% off your order at Bombas. You're going to love it. Uh, and supporting our sponsors supports the show. So uh, go do it. Thanks to Hillsong Young and Free for joining us. You can follow them on Twitter at Hillsong YNF. Make sure to check out their new album, Youth Revival. It's available everywhere. Also, thanks to the local pastors who joined us, my friends, um, Josh Turner from Celebration Church Orlando, Cole Neesmith from City Beautiful Church, and Justin Johnson from One Church Park District. Appreciate my buddies for coming out. And uh, keep uh, the city in prayer. Keep them in prayer. Keep the LGBT community here in prayer, all the victims, their families, uh, the leadership in this city, and just um, you know, pray for the situation here. Um, it's... Uh, it's unprecedented what's going on. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, on that note, we'll wrap it up. Um, I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Chandler Strang. I'm Joy Agartreed. I'm Adam Smith. I'm going to head down to my orthopedic doctor and get a prescription <laughs> for my new Curry 2s and then bring it to Foot Locker. <laughs> see you next week. Uh, we'll see you <laughs> next week. So you can see. Thanks for listening to The Relevant Podcast. Connect with us on Twitter, at Relevant Podcast, and get bonus material from this episode and more at the podcast section on relevantmagazine.com. And don't forget to check the magazine out. It's available on newsstands and at the iTunes App Store, or you can subscribe online at relevantmagazine.com slash subscribe. I'm, I, that is either uh, uh, some sort of animal dropping or that's some really old butter. I got to taste this thing.